Hello there. I'm, I haven't spoken here before from this place, and I don't know if I'm making sense, so I see Ben, who I know, and if I start going too fast, I want Ben to stand up and just go like this, like you're going way too fast. So the problem is I have to stay close to the mic and close to my prop. So uh, I teach first grade Sunday school, and I think you should too, maybe not first grade, because I want that one. Uh, when, we, when I teach the Ten Commandments, I'm going to be talking about the Fifth Commandment today. When I teach the Ten Commandments, we begin, I bring this in, I want you to imagine that you're seven years old, and I want you to imagine what you're thinking, and maybe what questions are forming in your mind as I start to set out the things that are in my bag. Right. You might be wondering, I don't know, I'm guessing that this gets your attention. I don't know if that's going to fall off. Uh, and so at this point, if you're in my Sunday school class, you're thinking, how many students are there in the room? And are there enough for everyone to get one? That's, um, that's an important part of the question. I'm not going to take all of them out. I only need this one. This is the fifth commandment. So... I say, do you have any questions? And nobody says anything. I say, finally somebody says, are those for us? I say, oh, there's a tag on it. What does it say? It says, to my children from God. Are you God's children? They're all very sure at that moment that they're God's children. It's great. And I say, so this is, this is for you. And then I turn it around, and it's hard for you to see from there, but it's large enough for them to read. They're in first grade. They can read. This says, God's law. And I want them to remember through all that we do over the next 10 or 11 weeks as we talk about the commandments, is I want them to remember that God gave his people the law as a gift, which is not the way... Other cultures think about the law, and it's not the way our current culture thinks about the law. When I was asked to speak in chapel 10 months ago, 11 months ago, I agreed to speak in March. Um, one or two things happened in March, and then more things happened in May, and I had decided back then that I would talk about the fifth commandment because it's what I was working on. I'm still working on it. Uh, but the way that the world has changed has changed the problem of talking about the fifth commandment, as you can imagine, the way we think about authority. And it's especially evident when you consider what's in my box for the first graders. So in the box, I have a police officer's badge. This, of course, causes no anxiety for any of you. It, well, I thought it wouldn't cause any anxiety for my seven-year-olds. So the first time I pulled out the badge. Um, they were sitting in front of me much closer than you are now. They were all closer than six feet, actually. There were seven of them. Um, and, I, and I said, so. So I wanted them to get a sense. I wanted them to join me in seeing how it was a blessing to know that there were people in authority who would maintain social order. So I thought I could illustrate this that even, in a way that even a seven-year-old could appreciate. I said, so imagine that you're riding in the car 
and your dad's driving, and up ahead on the road, you see a police officer standing like this. What would your dad do? And a boy sitting right there said, it depends. On what? He said, does he have an RPG? Um, how would that matter? Because if we outgun him, we're going. So when the little boy's mother came to pick him up, I relayed this story and she said, I've told his dad a thousand times that this would happen if they kept playing Grand Theft Auto. So you can think through whether you want to play Grand Theft Auto with a seven-year-old boy. It isn't, that strikes me as possibly not a great idea. But what the boy had learned is that the authority is to be obeyed when you can't overwhelm the authority. That's not a great lesson. It's certainly not what the fifth commandment is about. So what I'm going to accomplish in, the, in my brief time this morning is I'm gonna do two and a half things. I know I'm gonna do two and one will depend on the time. I'm going to talk about what it means to honor our literal fathers and mothers because the commandment is to honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the Lord that your God is giving you. So, literal fathers and mothers, and then maybe, if I'm disciplined, I will say something about what it means to honor those in authority over you that you have voluntarily taken on as authorities. Bosses, professors, John Wiley, like that. And with a little asterisk, your parents, if you're over 18 and you're choosing to live in their house as a guest, because well, that's, that really goes more in that category than either of the other two. The third, the, the second and a half thing that I know I have to talk about is what we do when those in authority over us are unrighteous. What does the Bible say to us about honoring those in authority when they are acting contrary to God's law or are requiring of us that we act contrary to God's law? So those are the things that I have to accomplish uh, in the time that remains. Uh, I've timed it, I think I can do this. So first, about honoring your literal, literal father and mother. And uh, here I just have to begin with a commercial message because one of the ways that God's law tells us things that we, not, we would not be able to figure out merely by trial and error is that we should honor our mothers. The commercial is for the non-Western philosophy class that I'll be teaching in the spring. Philosophy 151, there are no prerequisites. It satisfies the diversity requirement there. That's the commercial part. But one of the things we'll see in looking at the philosophical systems, the wisdom from China, India, and Africa, is that they have extensive systems about honoring your father. And what they say about your mother is that you should care for her. It's not the same thing. There's a clear hierarchy. And I think reason, fallen reason teaches this. Fallen Reason teaches that the reason you honor anyone is because they have an RPG. I looked it up, it's a rocket-propelled grenade. If you weren't sure, I had to look it up too. Is the reason you honor authority is self-preservation and terror. That's not the grounds that the Bible gives for honoring your father and mother. When it explains, and it explains in many places what is so honor-worthy of your literal father and mother, is that because they love you and they are 
seeking your good and they have lots of experience that they would like to share with you. Now, you're not asking for it, I realize, but they have all of that. And that's why one of the reasons that it's not fathers, mothers maybe, it's father and mother. And it's only cultures that trace their moral system, their understanding of the way things ought to be, to the law given to Moses at Sinai that say honor father and mother. We wouldn't know this from fallen reason alone. It turns out to be true, we wouldn't have known it otherwise. When it comes to honoring your literal father and mother, regardless of your age, there's two things that the Bible tells us to do. One, heed what they say. Now, that's going to be different between adults and children, but we heed what they say, and the other thing that we do in order to honor them is that we advance their righteous projects. When we're children, that means that we make them proud. So when you're children, you honor your father and mother by obeying them. That's how Ephesians 6 begins. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And then he says, the, the, this is the first commandment with a promise. The promise that you would live long in the land that your God is giving you. And that promise is both natural. It depends upon the way nature, even fallen nature, works. You will be more trusted by other people when you honor those in authority. You're, you will live at greater peace with each other and with yourself. If you, those are natural things. But then there's also supernatural Israel is told, if you keep this commandment, you will live in the land. You will enjoy supernatural spiritual blessing that goes with living according to the way God revealed for us to live. So keeping this commandment as a child means to obey and to make your parents proud. So if your mother says, you're going to take piano lessons, you say, of course I am. Now, when you're seven years old, you're like, what are your options? But um, I took piano lessons for 11 years. And looking back on it now, my mother's commitment to that was epic. She would drive me 45 minutes one way to a lesson where I had to, for which I had practiced no more than 30 minutes the entire week. Um, that's a great mom. It looks like a greater mom when you're as old as I am and you know what it takes to cajole children into developing skills that they'll be glad they have later. I'm really glad I have those skills, uh, and I didn't appreciate being hauled off to lessons far, far away. My, this was part of my mother's project in the world. She's still a piano teacher. She's in the Washington State Piano Teachers Hall of Fame, which makes me super happy. Uh, she's 85 years old, and she still has piano students. And one of the ways that I honor my mother now is I say, you go mom on, creating, on teaching her piano students. As a child you obey and you make your parents proud. As an adult, you heed their counsel. That's what Proverbs says. Proverbs 6 uh, verses 20 and following are the longest discussion of the fifth commandment, the application of the fifth commandment in the Old Testament. And it says, heed your father and your mother, and you will be kept from evil. Uh, heed them. It, mean, it doesn't mean it's no longer obey. It's, it means you seek out their counsel, and you take it seriously. It doesn't mean that you follow their counsel. It does mean that you recognize that your parents know quite a bit about how things go wrong in the world, and, and 
I just take my word for it. As a very old man, I'm 60 years old, I have four grown children. Uh, when your children ask you, when you're my age and your children says, I say, I have a hard decision to make, uh, can I get some advice? Well, first you have to revive me. You get smelling salts and wake me up because I passed out from shock. Uh, but I don't think less of them. I think, oh, what's wrong with them? Are they not grown up enough to do this themselves? I think, oh, I'm still relevant. <laughs> That's all I think. I'm just thankful. Um, and I don't expect them to follow my advice. I do kind of wonder when they don't like my advice because I had excellent reasons. Uh, but your parents want you. I realize it feels like a failure. I remember being a college student. I remember, being, I remember standing right here 40 years ago and that building wasn't there, and Founders wasn't there, Bell's Tower was there. Um, I remember, and I remember thinking, if I ever have to ask anyone for advice, it means I'm a failure. And just take my word for it. In 10 years, you'll think, that was dumb. So take my word for it. So when you're a child, you obey and make them proud. When you're an adult, you seek out their counsel and take it seriously, and you are a cheerleader for their righteous projects in the world. You keep up with what your parents are doing and you say, that makes me happy that you're, you still have piano students, mom. It just does. Now about voluntary, voluntarily accepted authorities like my boss, Dr. Halverson is over there. He's my boss. I submit to my boss. When it comes to authorities that you have voluntarily accepted, so I signed a contract, he signed a contract, your submission to John Wiley, you, the way you honor John Wiley is because you signed a commitment and he signed a commitment. Uh, there's a lot of relationships like that where you took it on voluntarily. And if you choose to defy those authorities, it's just foolish. And it tells other people that you probably can't be trusted in other things that you've promised to do. So it's, it doesn't go well for you when you defy authorities, because you could, I could choose to quit, right? If I didn't like the way Dr. Halverson ordered me around, which does not happen. Uh, if I didn't like it, I, didn't, I don't have to work here. I could, I don't want to. So I don't even want to go there. I don't want to work anywhere else, Dr. Halverson. But that's the thing about voluntarily accepted authority. It feels oppressive to you, but you need to back up and look at what was the commitment that I made. You don't want to reveal to those in authority or those around you that you don't keep your promises. And that's what voluntarily accepted authority is about. But I have not even 10 minutes and I need to talk about what we do with unrighteous authority. So clearly, if those in authority over you, especially authority, this is whether it's parents voluntarily accepted authority or people whose authority you, can't, you did not have a choice in. Um, and remember, in the first century Roman world, when the New Testament is written, none of them picked Rome. None of the biblical authors picked Rome and said, yes, I want those, I want Nero in charge or Herod or Pilate or no. Those are not voluntarily accepted authorities. And the testimony of both the teaching and the examples in the New Testament is consistent. That is, if they require you to sin, you don't sin. If they are hurting other people, you can, you can work to protect people who are being treated in an unrighteous manner by authorities that are breaking God's law. 
but, and the, the, uh, the qualification here is enormous and difficult, you can't resist their unrighteous commands using violence ever. You can't break God's law in other ways, which, which all violence would include, except for spiritual violence. There's a lot of spiritual violence. Casting out of demons, praying. This is, the world doesn't count it as violence. But that, spiritual violence is okay. You can pray that God would remove them from power. That's fine. Uh, spiritual violence, which the New Testament repeatedly shows, is the most powerful kind of force there is. Prayer, the preaching of the gospel, that's the most powerful thing there is. The world doesn't get that at all. The world thinks the only way we're going to make a difference is by using physical violence, by fighting with the world's weapons, and there is no corner for that. There's no uh, there's no even suggestion. The only piece, there's one little piece of physical violence in the New Testament, New Testament on behalf of Jesus' disciples and apostles, and that is when Peter swings a sword and cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus, when Jesus is arrested. Jesus immediately heals him, and that's it for the violence. There's no other physical violence. What you have is they disobey when they must in order not to sin or to protect the vulnerable. They do it without violence and they accept the punishment that the law requires. So uh, I have as an example. In Acts 16, Paul comes into Philippi. They come across uh, a slave girl who is possessed by a demon and because she's possessed by a demon, she can prophesy. I have no idea how that works. I don't know how the demons know the future. I have no idea. But she does, and they're making money on her, so it must have been moderately effective. Paul, in the name of Jesus, casts the demon out, demon out of her and wrecks their business. It's on the basis of wrecking their business that, he, that they haul him before the authorities. They accuse him of breaking the law, which he had done in saying to the demon, depart in the name of Jesus, he was naming an illicit religion. And that was, it was against the law to advance a religion that hadn't been officially said, that's an okay religion here in Rome. So Paul did break the law. Uh, he did it in order to deliver this slave girl from her servitude to her masters who were exploiting her demon possession. And he delivered her from the demons. But he did it without violence, he spiritual violence, and he spoke the name of Jesus and cast the demon out. And then when they took him into court, they beat him, even though Paul could have said, like he does six chapters later, he says, um, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen, what's the deal? Only here he doesn't, he accepts the beating. Uh, complicated question, but he accepts the beating. That is the almost universal teaching of the church through two millennia about how to handle unrighteous authorities over you. That is, resist, not for your own gain, but to protect others without violence and accepting the punishment. The accepting the punishment part's pretty hard. You, you can work within the law and work against it, but you accept the punishment. I have an example. 30 years ago, uh, there was a movement called Operation Rescue. And the way they 
tried to limit the number of abortions that were being performed in Chattanooga, and Covenant students did this, is that you went and trespassed on abortion clinic property and got in the way so that women seeking an abortion had to step over you in order, and they just made it that much more complicated to get into the clinic. And when the clinic called the police, the police would show up and charge these people. First they would say disperse in the name of the law, and then they would say they would charge the people with trespassing, and they would zip tie their hands and carry them off down, downtown to be processed um, and to be bailed out. They accepted the punishment without fighting. They didn't swear at people. They didn't kick the police. They just went limp and let them, they were dragged off. And that lasted until the government changed the penalty. Instead of a misdemeanor trespassing charge, they, they upped it to a mafia statute corrupt racketeering charge where they could take all of your money and your property for being involved in trespassing on clinic property. And the movement ended because Christians weren't willing to accept the penalty of losing all of their property for trying to protect unborn children. But that was, that's not the end of the story. They said, okay, what if there weren't clinics at all? And Covenant students got together and said, why don't we, um, why don't we raise the money and just buy the buildings where these abortion clinics are? And they did. They found funding. Turns out that there are people around here with money that would like to support that sort of thing. And they just started buying up the clinics. When their leases expired, they bought the clinic and they turned it into something else. And then they had other people who worked in City Hall that were looking to see when people were filing business plans to purchase other property, and then they would go and bid on that property and outbid the people who were trying to build a new abortion clinic, which is why Chattanooga is still the largest city in the country without a standalone private abortion clinic. Because Covenant students mostly were saying, we're gonna work within the law. If there are no abortion clinics where we, have, where we might sit in the doorway, then we won't have to sit in the doorway and accept the punishment. So you don't have to accept unrighteous laws, but you have to work nonviolently accepting the punishment and within the law, and I like that story. I wanna come back to the gift because I wanna end where I began. Throughout the Psalms, Paul, uh, Paul, David refers to the law as something yummy. In Psalm 1, Paul says, Paul, why do I think it's Paul? In Psalm 1, David says, the person who is blessed is one who meditates on the law day and night. In Psalm 19, as part of listing the virtues of the law, David says, the law is sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. So when you go to lunch and you're eating something sweet, I want you to think, the law is like this, only better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy to us. We thank you that you did not leave us to figure out uh, what it would mean to stumble through life and to make the most of a brief time. We thank you that you've given us your word and that you've given us your law that we might know how we were meant to flourish. Please be at work in us that we would be brave and that we would be attentive and that you would make it easy for us to honor those in authority and to use authority in an honorable way. Please use everything that we're doing here at Covenant 
to make us more useful as your servants. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.